If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. Hello, Mr. Seat, how are you? Chris and I were talking about、uh, I tried running on Christmas Day. It was a terrible idea.、Um, never do it again. We were talking about how we should begin this conversation. I sort of said, I want to introduce you, and that's boring. So, why don't we talk about a really interesting thing you guys did, what, a year ago? Yeah. In Knoxville? Yeah. So, you paid people full time, right? Yeah. To use Facebook. Mm hmm. Well, to do more than use Facebook. So explain what, explain what you paid people to do. Sure. So we're trying to make a newsfeed that gives people the content that matters to them. And how you do that is a hard problem. So, so now we'll stop for a second and、yes. explain that one of your jobs at Facebook. Yes. What's your title? Chief Product Officer? Yeah. Is to run newsfeed. Yes. Which is Facebook, right? That's the middle of Facebook. That's what you look at. That's what serves up your dog pictures and your baby pictures and maybe news. And this is what you want to improve. Well, yeah, so you want everybody to see exactly the stuff they want and none of the stuff that doesn't matter to them. It's hard because clicks don't often or don't always belie what you care about. Sometimes there are things you care about you don't click on, sometimes there are things you click on that you thought was irrelevant or boring. So you want to try and figure out a way of moving beyond that. So we got a group of people in Knoxville, which was originally 30 people working from home, were working in a little office, and it's expanded into hundreds of people. She went to work and watched, used Facebook. Well, so it was more than using Facebook. Right. So they would go, and they would basically go through thousands of candidate newsfeed stories that they could have seen. And they were asked, you know, what was the most important to you? What was your favorite? What was the most meaningful? And then they would give it a star rating. And then they would write a little paragraph on why it was important or meaningful or why it was their favorite. Or if they didn't like it, they'd say, why not? And it was cool because you started to see these cases where. First of all, everybody had vastly different preferences. So, just because right now, all I can do on Facebook is share something or, or like it, right? Those are my two really, or I can add a comment on it. You can comment on it, you can click on it, you can scroll past it. There's a lot of behaviors that can indicate whether or not you think something. But it's hard for you guys what you really to want figure out what I really mean. Sit down with a billion people and ask each of them. So, you started with 30? Yes. <laughs> And then we've kind of expanded it outwards to a few hundred people working from home. And our goal is to get to this point. This is just for ranking. There's this other whole set of work on building better controls that ask you what you want. This is striking to me for a bunch of reasons. One is I would have assumed you guys would have done this years ago. 
because you're a bunch of smart guys there, and you would have said, and women, and said, well, we know people are liking things or not, but clearly that's, we don't know enough about what they're thinking. Had you, this is a focus group, right? Totally. Had you never done that before? We'd done it qualitatively, so you sit down with people and you do a focus group. We'd done that a bunch. We built survey tools that let um, customers just kind of like go through and rate stories and compare stories, do side-by-side comparisons. Um, we have inline tools, so you can hide stuff and then say why you didn't like something. And that gave us some good signals. But there's something about getting um, a lot more of a, of a rich sense of one individual and like all of the things that compose what they care about and then don't, and then use that to find patterns and in where internet behavior doesn't belie a, a sense of value. Um, and you so, said you want people to get the Facebook they want, right? To, to reflect yes. what they want. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, I, I always thought sort of that's what you were doing from the beginning. And sure. so, because it's a very Silicon Valley attitude to say, well, if the user wants to do something, if they like that, if they ask for that thing, that by itself is a good thing. We'll give them more of that. And that's, yeah. we can refine it, but that's essentially what we should be doing. Yeah. Well, it's what Newsfeed has always been that. You know, it was always that was the promise. But, but it seems like over the last year, maybe more, you guys have been saying, well, actually, that's not exactly what we want. We think that we should have a more active role in showing people stuff that maybe they didn't know they wanted or they should see. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you here is to have a discussion about sure. that, because I can't tell if that's a new philosophy or just one that you're expressing for the first time outside, uh, outside the company. So the philosophy, I would say it's the same philosophy, but with better tools and a better sense of understanding what matters. So, you know, from the beginning, you know, before Newsfeed, it was like you're connected to all these people. There's a ton of activity. Some of this stuff really matters to you. Some of it doesn't. How do you make a really good experience for people that have a lot of activity going on? Okay, but, but you're not going to serve people porn, right? That's the easy first answer. Everyone wants to look at porn, but you guys won't do that. But people like cat pictures, right? Sure. And Some I would assume do, that a yeah. lot of them would just want to look at cat pictures all day, every day, and you, they would keep telling you that. Um, but it seems like you guys don't want to be in the cat-serving exclusively business. I mean, it's not my aspiration. Right. <laughs> but, but we're being flipped. We're not being flipped, right? Because a lot of people, I think even some in this room, especially up north, would say, if that's what people want, let's give that to them. Yeah. I mean, just to back up for a sec, yeah. the, the primary thing that determines what you see is what you connect to. So most people, the vast majority of what they're connected to is friends and family. So there are, I can't think of any news feeds I've ever seen that are all cat pictures. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so cat and baby pictures, or cat and It totally of my depends mom. on your situation. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you up here is yeah. you guys are, are more actively involved in, in the idea of, of news, like in the traditional sense. Like sure. Telling you were showing me backstage a, a news feed from Burma that you're interested in. Yeah. Um, but most people either don't know where Burma is, don't know that there's anything going on there. Do you feel like it's Facebook's job to tell people about what's happening in Burma or Iraq or any other part of the world they know about? Not directly, no. I mean, I think what we've always wanted to be is to connect people directly with the sources they care about, with their friends, with their family, with publishers, with whoever it is, with an artist, with a business, um, with the Pope just to be a connective tissue that lets people publish to, to their, you know, the people that connect to them, and then lets the customers say, here's what I want, and here's what I don't want, and here's the controls that I have to do that. So when Mark Zuckerberg said a, a year ago, a couple years ago, we want to be the world's biggest daily newspaper, so I'm butchering his words a little bit, but he, used, he described Facebook as being a newspaper. A personal newspaper. Right. Yeah, and I think you know, that wasn't like we want to replace the newspaper. I think of it as a, 
a word where there wasn't a good metaphor yet. I mean, it's kind of like the, the web was first called web pages. You know, we didn't really know how to think about it at the beginning. It's, so how should we think about it? Because a newspaper, right, it, uh, it, the old way, of a new, old way of thinking about a newspaper was someone in an office decided these were things that were important to put, show. They put them on the front page, yeah. and they organized various parts yeah. of the paper. And they totally. all kind of knew they were all looking at sports or maybe classifieds. But in theory, they said on the front page, here's what you should see. Yeah. Um, and my sort of fundamental question about the way you guys are thinking right now is, do you think that you should have some role in organizing information for people, or should they go and get whatever they want from wherever they want? So again, the philosophy we have is people should get the content that matters to them most. Most of that on Facebook is going to be connecting with your friends and family. When we look at the, with the Knoxville data set or when we look at customers who come in, we just look at focus groups, it's like, what's the most important thing you get out of this? It's friends and family. It's a distant relative. It's a high school best friend. It's somebody I haven't seen in a long time. That's the core value that we provide. And if we're not doing a good job of that, we're failing, period. So that's the most important thing to do. That is number one. The second thing they say is, I'm getting information about the world that matters to me. That can be hard news. It can be how to do your hair. It can be a recipe. It can be a listicle. And at some level, we do not want to be in the business of deciding which of those things they should see and shouldn't see, except to say that the things that you feel are important to you and that inform you about the world as you describe it, we're going to help you connect with and we're going to help you see. But you've and been again, sending I signals to people over time saying, well, actually, we don't think this kind of thing is valuable. We're going to get rid of certain kinds of clickbait. We're going to get sure. rid of, uh, there was a particular kind of photo post. Said, sure. We do want to edit this for you. Yeah, and bit. where that comes from is people saying, I saw this content and I didn't like it. And we don't just like say that everybody stopped seeing it. We say, cool, let's go refine the model for how we deliver that so that the people who are saying this was boring, this was irrelevant, this was lame, this was a waste of time for X type of content, this was misleading. You know, those are the experiences people have that are bad. So that's, you've done that. I said, all right, we're going to give you what you actually want, yeah. what you actually say you mm -hmm. want. We don't, we don't want to give you clickbait, right? Which yeah. doesn't just mean something that's popular. It means you thought you wanted, you thought you were going to watch this, you got something else. Yeah. You got Rickrolled. Um, but Which some also, people love, by the way. Some people love Rickroll. <laughs> so, but also in the last couple of years, you've gone out to publishers and said, look, we really want to work closely with you. Traditional publishers, new sites like BuzzFeed, yeah. web publishers broadly, right? Yeah, totally. Publish content and said, bring us your stuff. We'll figure out how to send an audience to you. We're going to actively do it. We're going to publish data that shows how much traffic we've driven to these other sites that are, are giving us stuff. Um, and the web has really responded, right? There's a lot of web publishers who are really trying to base their business around pleasing you. You're the most 1.3 billion users getting stuff on that, that gets picked up on Facebook sort of generates the bulk of their business right now. Um, first of all, why did you make that outreach effort? So, I mean, from the beginning, you know, the very first, the moment we had a box on top of Newsfeed in 2006, a lot of what people started to put there was media. You know, at first it was status updates and photo albums, but we weren't like, hey, we want to go get into the news business. It was something that emerged, and I think if you just look at a lot of the features we built over time, it was just like watching the behavior that was happening and then trying to help make it better. That's where like photo albums came from on Facebook. Um, and so once we started seeing that happening, it was very clear to us that we were, um, that people wanted to share media 
and that publishers had an opportunity to plug into that in a more direct way, which would be good for publishers and hopefully good for people. And just to be clear, why it's good for publishers is because you've got a big audience and you can expose their stuff to them. Well, because people want to connect with their content. And the whole, the whole platform is about connecting people with. But the, it, certain kinds of content works better on Facebook. You've got a lot of people trying to like game the system. Sure. Either actually try to cheat you guys, right? Or actually just sort of figure out, well, this stuff works better on, on, on Facebook. This stuff doesn't. We're going to make more of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, is, that thing, what you, is that the effect you wanted? I mean, the effect we wanted was people come and they're like, cool, I found awesome content here. I'm excited. And publishers to be like, cool, I'm connecting with my audience here. You know, I'm able to reach people that maybe wouldn't have visited me, but I reached them, and now they can come and check out the content. That's a great thing for both. And yeah, so you know, when stuff's doing well on Facebook or not doing well on Facebook, it's actually a more subtle story, usually. Meaning? Well, you know, cat photos are an example of something that some people love and some people don't love. And we find out a bunch of people don't want any cat photos, so we're like, let's do a better job of delivering that. And then cat photos get less distribution. And then the headline is like, you guys don't like cat photos. And it's like, no, this isn't about what I want. This is about what people say they want. But you guys do turn a dial back and forth. There was one of those stories yesterday I read that said uh, uh, photo posts are no longer. Everyone was yeah. doing photo posts. But it's not a dial. It's video posts. Yeah, but it's, it's, I know people imagine like we have this room. With you got levers, right? Yeah. There's no levers. <laughs> I have no dials. Um, what we do have is features that we can build that do a better job of predicting which kinds of people are going to like something and which kinds of people aren't. But you do have dials, right? Like um, you've, got, you've got companies that used to use you to distribute their stuff in one way, and then you change the rules. It's your right to do so. It's your platform. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's much harder for them to distribute their content. Zynga used to be a very important partner with you. They generated a third of your revenue at one point. And actually, just as you were going public, you sort of changed the rules, and Zynga distribution went way down. We've seen versions of this story. It happened with video uh, startups a couple of years ago. We see different versions of this. And that is you guys making decisions about how to distribute stuff. Yes, but it's in the interest of people who are saying what they care about and what they don't care about. Right, so you do have dials. You're just saying you use them on behalf of users. I'm, we don't have hardware, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> um, and I'm just trying to explain the difference. Like, It's not like there's this volume control that we can turn up or down. It's more subtle than that because what we're doing is refining the delivery of something in response to a list of like, I don't want this, I want this, I don't want this, I want this. So I'm so old that I used to work for an internet company that spent all its time trying to get its content on the homepage of Yahoo. Yeah. It's 2005. That's yeah, all we did. Totally. That, was, that was the main job. Yeah, it totally. Forbes. Yeah. Um, that's how we spend all our time. <laughs> and then uh, over time, everyone said, oh, Google's the most important uh, traffic source. We should try to figure out how to please the Google gods. Mm-hmm. Now it's you guys. Um, in many cases, it's you guys. Um, predictably, lots of people are wary about that because they assume that, one, you'll either be replaced, or two, that you'll change your mind about what pleases you. How, how conscious are you about sort of your responsibility and the power you guys have to to generate, there's a website called uh, Elite Daily that didn't exist a few years ago. Mm. Um, and basically, they got all their traffic from Facebook, and they just sold, I think, to the Daily Mail for 50 million bucks or something. That's because that's mm. of you mm. or your system that you've built. Mm. How conscious are you of that? I mean, we are working really hard on being a good partner to the publishing industry. That's because I believe in it. It's, we believe in it. 
And it's because a good partnership there can make the publishing industry better, it can make Facebook better, it can help people find good content. Part of why I'm here, you know, it's part of why we have a global partnerships team that's working really, really hard on doing a good job of communicating with the key partners. It's why we have a whole roadmap designed to build tools for people in video, for people in news, um, to do a better job of understanding how their content's working on Facebook, to add targeting signals, to build features that are specifically requested by those publishers so that they can not have a black box that they're looking at. Um, it's why we're trying to do a lot more um, outward communication of the changes we make in newsfeed. You know, we have regular blog posts on what we're doing and why we're doing it so that you can see it's not like... And every time you publish one of those blog posts, everyone freaks out and says, oh, they've changed the rules again or this has changed. You know, some people freak out, but I think people who want to read the content are like, cool, I get it. You know, these guys don't have a knob where they just want to like whimsically turn things around. It's not a knob. Yeah. It's not hardware. It's not a lever. Yeah. But you change the way you do things. And we can show you over and over examples. There, uh, there's a, a viral Nova and Upworthy all had their traffic go down. Yeah. You can see these charts. And, and that's after you guys made changes, I guess, a year ago now. Um, and it's, it's quite evident. So, um, and it's your right, again, to do that. But I'm wondering how conscious ever you are, sort of the, the ripple effects that you have. Very. I mean, we're, we're trying to do a better job communicating and build tools that help people anticipate and, and um, see into the, into the system better. What's important to you personally? What's important to you as a, as a news consumer? What are you looking for? I mean, in my life? Yeah. Um, I mean, I like music. I like film. You know, my wife's a filmmaker. Um, I read a lot of tech news. I read a lot of world news. Um, I'm a pretty, I have like a pretty steady, large media diet. And is that coming through Facebook or do you go get it A lot of it is, a lot of it isn't. I still read magazines. Um, I watch a lot of TV. Um, I started playing games. I got a PlayStation 4 when we did the Oculus acquisition so that I could like figure out what was going on with 3D gaming, which is insane. We'll do some 3D tomorrow too. So, yeah. so do you feel like Facebook can bring you more of what you're interested in and, totally. and can do a better job of it? Totally, absolutely. Um, Today I had uh, three people share this like super deep story on ISIS that was published in the Atlantic this morning. It's really good. It's like a 25-minute read. It's on my to-read list. It's really good. And it was cool because three of my friends shared it. They all had different commentary on it, and then their little inner circles had people who were commenting on their version of like what they read in there and what they saw. It was awesome. Um, it was an example of a situation where I was... I, Probably wasn't going to go to the Atlantic today, but I spent 25 minutes reading this article that was very well researched and, and very well written. And I got to see the discussion happen on Facebook, and I got to see it through the lens of my friends. I mean, that's awesome. So Facebook sent you to the Atlantic. That's a page view and a unique <laughs> user for them. And a bunch of engagement. It's all good for the Atlantic for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, this, somebody spent a lot of time writing that article, you know, right. and doing the research for that. And it connected me with that in a way that was personal and real and great. So last fall, you guys floated the idea through David Carr in the New York Times, where he wrote about it, um, that you were interested in actually having publishers put their own content on your site where you would, instead of going to the Atlantic to read that story, perhaps you might read it on Facebook, um, which would be a big change for the way that you've worked with publishers in the past. So w what got you to thinking that was a good idea? Well, so reading news on a smartphone is still a really bad experience most of the time. 
it's slow, it's often inaccessible, especially when you go to the developing world, it can be 30, 45, 50 seconds waiting for a piece of content to load. Um, phones are really different sizes, browsers are all over the place, there's just like a lot of stuff that goes into the experience of delivering that piece of content, having it be really like native and good and wonderful. Um, we wanna try and make that a better experience with publishers. And you think by having them, their stuff be on Facebook, instead of their site, that's a better experience for them and for publishers. I think whether it's on Facebook or not, the, thing, the problems to solve are speed, um, the, the physical, like the way it actually feels to read it, um, and like the mechanical you know, complexity of reading the article. So those are the kinds of problems we're trying to address. But let's be clear, you're, you're trying to solve that on Facebook. You're not trying to improve the Atlantic's website. We're trying to solve it in some container. Right. Yeah. So, so w where are you in terms of talking to publishers about having you guys be the container instead of them being the container? We're early in conversations. So the conversations are going on now. Yeah. What are the publishers telling you about that when you go talk to them about that idea? You know, um, they're, at first they're like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> and we're like, we want to try and make this experience fast and good. Let's figure out how to do it. And once we get into the conversation, it's been really productive and really yeah. good. What are their concerns? Um, lack of control. So presumably there'd be some way to share revenue, and that's, is, that, is, that, is that a relatively easy thing to figure out, the, the financial part? It's, I mean, it's an important thing to figure out is how their business works, and we want to help improve the businesses of every person on our platform. Right. I mean, that's an important part of being a good service. So when that article came on the New York Times about you guys having those discussions, yeah. there was this wave of discussion saying, oh, God, we're just, all these publishers are just going to have to give up because Facebook's going to end up running everything. And now we're going to probably see another series of those because you're, you're talking about that really publicly for the first time. How do you persuade someone that, no, there's a role for people outside of Facebook to continue publishing news? I mean, you know, we don't want to try and devour and, like, suck in the Internet. It's not... It's not in the interest of people out there to, to have, like, it's, it's not what people are asking for, frankly. Um, and people so, being users. Yeah. The people who read Facebook. Totally. Um, so. There's a very smart piece. Uh, John Herman wrote this saying that, the, that he's predicting a world where not just you guys, but Snapchat and WhatsApp and all these big communication platforms. Yeah are truly the ones that are going to have giant audiences. You've got, what, 1.3 billion users that are, that, that are going to be the ones that can only... Everyone's going to want your eyeballs, and they're going to end up sort of default by default coming to you in, in Snapchat and WhatsApp, or you now WhatsApp as well, and just saying, all right, we're just going to find those eyeballs there. And the idea of publishing our own websites or even our own apps is going to seem sort of quaint and very, you know, 2014 in a couple of years, that it's all going to sort of move to you guys. Whether, whether you want to devour it or not, it's just going to... That's just going to happen. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? I don't see that as being where the world goes. I mean, people are always... If you're dedicated to an experience of a publisher or an editor, you're definitely always going to want to go there. It's de something I definitely do. And Facebook doesn't replace that behavior for me. And I don't think that Facebook will replace that behavior. So even though you might be the container for some of this news, you still think these sites will exist on their own? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. How far, how far off do you think we are before we do you have a container deal to talk about? I mean, we don't even know what the experience is yet. And I don't know if it'll be a container or what it'll look like. I mean, we're literally at the, at the beginning of conversations with partners. 
on how to deliver a really good news experience on a smartphone. So one of the other reasons I wanted you to be here yeah. in front of this crowd is you're also the guy who runs video, which didn't really exist yeah. a year or so ago and now is giant at yeah. Facebook, yeah. doing, what, 3 billion views mm -hmm. a day, yeah. right? Didn't exist really a year ago. One, why did it take you so long to start doing video in any significant way on Facebook? Well, we had video since 2006. So it, it was there, but it wasn't. It was where there, you and the thing we're doing three billion views a day. We did not appreciate how much autoplay would succeed. Um, but even it, before we, autoplay is a way. You guys all know what this means, right? It starts autoplaying while yeah. you scroll over it. Yeah. But that was a decision you, you decided to make it autoplay, right? But why did you decide even to sort of push video out to begin with? Well, so we had a video team for a while. Mm -hmm. We wanted to build this autoplay experience just to build this like moving picture experience in feed. We've always wanted to make feed more immersive, um, to make the content more engaging and more fun. So we built autoplay, and it has been a massive success. A lot of people internally were like, that's going to be annoying. I don't want that. It's going to be crazy. It's probably a bad idea. And these things have a way in retrospect of being like, of course, that was a good idea. Um, and so we built it, and it's been a big success because people like the content, they like the experience of autoplay. Um, Again, from, from outside, it seems like you guys built a system that's designed to create more video, right? You, you built the system that, that does autoplay, that automatically plays video, and yeah. so of course it works because you've set it up to work. Totally. Um, but you're saying it surprised you that it worked. Well, you know, if people engage with it, Publishers publish more of it. People engage with it more. It's good. Right. Like it works. That's how the system works. So, so you didn't really have video. You had it, but it wasn't happening any volume. Now yeah. it's a really big deal. Everyone yeah. in this room is trying to figure out, all right, what do, what do we do with this? Yeah. Um, you have to make a certain kind of video that works with autoplay. It's, Zay Frank was talking about this silently. Um, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. You also have to sort of think about how you're going to make money doing that because you guys aren't running traditional advertising here. Why, why aren't you running pre-roll ads, which are the sort of standard way of, of monetizing video. Well, with I'm auto sorry for saying monetizing out loud, by the way. It's okay. I mean, with autoplay, you don't really want to have a pre-roll ad. You kind of want to be in the content right away. The content pulls you in. That's like the experience. And so we wanted to build that experience. Um, what we've seen is awesome. I mean, you have artists using it. You have like really cool, real, raw moments from people who were posting photos before, and now you're starting to see a much more immersive view of their lives. It's cool. Um, so we're excited to see where it goes. And we're talking a lot to partners about what they want and what tools they need to make better content. So if you're an advertiser, you can make an actual ad that will run on Facebook video, right? Yeah. But beyond that, there's almost no way to sort of put a video ad in, in Facebook now. Um, you well, you just did, run a video ad. Right, you just do that. But, but you can't attach an ad to... The, Not right You have now. one, one counterexample, which is you did a deal with the NFL where there's a post-roll ad. Yeah. How's that working, by the way? Well, I mean, we wanted to see what it was like to have some different kinds of content on Facebook that weren't there. So there weren't a bunch of sports highlights, and we just kind of wanted to see how that content would perform. And it's been good so far, and we're continuing to experiment. Um, I don't want to nerd out too much on ads, but how is that post-roll ad format working where you watch the entirety of an NFL clip and then an ad shows up? Are people sticking around to watch those? Some people are, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, the, um, is, is the, I would assume there's a bunch of people within Facebook that say, we really could generate a lot more money if we stuck ads there. Are, are, is there a push-pull there where 
Or and are you on one side of that? I mean, we're early. We're in like the first or second inning of video, so we're not. The thing we're trying to do right now is make the experience really good. It's not a great. Um, it's not fast enough yet. Um, video itself. Yeah, there's a bunch of work we can do on tools for publishers so they can see how the video is doing, see things like sound, um, see things like demographics. There's like a bunch of tools that aren't there yet, and we want to build those out, see where we are, and then continue to experiment. So right now, the world's biggest video platform is, is YouTube. I, yeah. I think a lot of people think credibly that you can actually be actual competition for them. They work in very different ways, right? YouTube, someone sends me a link, I go watch there, maybe I use it as, I think it's the world's second biggest search engine. For you guys, it all comes in this stream of content. Yeah. Do you imagine that will change over time, that you'll make it easier for me to go find video on Facebook or, or, or to surface stuff that's specific to me? Yeah, I mean, eventually, probably. It's just, you know, YouTube is like a library where you go look for stuff and watch stuff. You go home, you watch YouTube, and Facebook continues to be the window, the shorter duration of time, um, having a bunch of sessions throughout the day. And we're trying to nail that. When you say trying to nail that, you mean nail, you want to deliver video in that format, or do, you, or do you want to change the way people look for video? We're focused on the first thing right now, yeah. So, so should I think then, if I'm looking at this from the outside, that YouTube's going to specialize in one kind of video and you guys are going to do other stuff? I don't know what YouTube's going to do. Um, I know that for us, like... Robert Kinsel is here from YouTube. He's yeah. Tomorrow. <laughs> for us, it's just like, there are a whole bunch of people that want to publish video on Facebook, or they haven't even thought to, but they could be, and it would be great. So we're starting to see, like, artists, like musicians in, you know, New York or Berlin or L.A. start to post video instead of photos, and it does great. Um, and we're just at the beginning of, like, letting people who have traditionally been posting text or photos start to push video on Facebook. And it's a good experience for them. They're having fun. You know, people are having fun, and it works. There are a lot of 12-year-olds who view YouTube as their primary sort of entertainment source, or at least as important as TV. And it's totally normal for them to go watch hours of video, and they, watch, uh, and they treat YouTube video stars like... Like, people, like old people like me used to treat rock stars. Yeah. Um, do you think that behavior is going to happen on Facebook, or is that a different user base, a different group? Are those kids going to come to Facebook and watch video that way? I mean, those kids will probably connect with those people on Facebook, and they'll probably use Facebook and YouTube. So it won't be exclusive. Um, I doubt it. Because one of the other questions are, are you going to bring people who are famous on YouTube and bring them over to Facebook like other people are trying to do with their websites? I think if you're a YouTube content creator, if you're an artist, if you're a filmmaker, if you make film in any way, you have an interest in being on both platforms. And are you interested in, in I was going to use incense, it's a terrible verb, are you interested in paying or rewarding people for bringing their stuff to you? We're not focused on that. I mean, the thing we're, like, there is a... There is an exchange that happens when someone can connect with an audience on Facebook. So we're just trying to make that part really, Right, really but it good. seems like it's a, different, it's a different experience. It's a different social setup yeah. that people who thrive on YouTube might not find that same audience on Facebook in the same way that people use Twitter. There's different audiences and they use different platforms. I'm not sure what you mean. You think, you think everyone who uses Twitter or YouTube and consumes that stuff will consume that stuff on Facebook? I think publishers who want to reach their audience should probably use Facebook in addition to whatever else they're using. That's a good answer. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're going to do it, right? Yeah, I would think they probably have a good chance to like reach a lot of people there that want to see it. Um, I just 
is this is this is this isn't a job that you, you started. You've had multiple jobs at Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. I, we yeah. should have done this from the, the beginning, just to sort of your context. Cool. You started off doing what there? I was a software engineer, very early on, like employee what sixty? Uh, like I don't know, thirty or forty. Early. I remember in the yeah. Facebook IPO pictures, you're in the middle, standing next to Zuck. Um, so you've been there forever. Yeah. Did. Um, a lot of people who were in that early group of Facebook have moved on or doing other stuff. What, what, why are you at Facebook now? I mean, it's a rad place to work. It's a really cool place to be. Um, and we get to make a big impact and work with great people. I mean, it's awesome. What's the one thing that you haven't been able to accomplish there yet that you want to try to figure out? I mean, virtual reality is pretty cool. Are you going to play with that? Is that going to be part of that going to fall under your purview? Uh, we're working on apps for VR, yeah. Um, and how do you think VR works within like a newsfeed context? Have you thought about that? I don't know. Yeah, I have thought about it. Um, I don't know yet. I know that film, I mean, have you used some of the demos to be inside of a film in VR? No. It's insane. Like, we have a demo where you're in the, you know, the Blue Angels. Mm-hmm. So you're in the main plane in the middle, and you're flying over Colorado. And you can look to your left and to your right and see these pilots moving around in the planes. It's insane. I mean, it's so cool. So we're going to do a VR demo tomorrow. It will not involve planes. Um, but it's also very cool. There's another one where you're in a yurt in Mongolia. It's more my speed. I you think. go, well, it's like, you know, not a lot of people are going to get to go to Mongolia in their life. I've never been. But you're in the yurt. There's like, you know, a smoky little fire nearby. There's a woman making food. You can look around. It's beautiful. Um, and you immediately understand it's like one of these things the first time you're in it you realize you are looking at the future or some future that is going to be really awesome if you look at the core um, what you're doing when you're using Facebook you're just sending around little bits of experience you're just sending a photo you're sending a video you're sending a piece of text you're sending an idea you're sending a thought I think the version of the world where you're sending you know, a fuller, immersive picture of what you're doing. And you think people are going to be creating that, that experience? Totally. Or are they going to rely on Absolutely. publishers to do it? So totally. you will be able to make virtual reality that you can share with Totally. Your You'll do it. Beyonce will do it. You know. Beyonce's is way more interesting than mine. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> so how far off are we from that virtual reality in some form becoming sort of a part of the day-to-day experience at Facebook? Probably a while. I mean... We're a long way away from everybody having those headsets. Yeah, it's actually one of the reasons I keep talking. Well, about I guess tomorrow, everyone here has a headset. We're gonna we're gonna show off a, <laughs> a, a, a cheaper way of getting into this tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm I'm always, I'm always struck by how sort of I think blase is the right word. People at Facebook are about sort of how much power you guys have, whether it's talking about publishers or the ability to buy a virtual reality company that's in a very early stage for two billion dollars and it's no big deal or you bought WhatsApp for $19 billion. Do you feel like there are any constraints on what you can do at Facebook or what Facebook can do? Yeah, I mean, there's tons. I don't feel blasé about it at all. I think about it as a big responsibility, and I take it really seriously, and I know everybody I work with does too. Um, you know, we have, you know, we've come a long way in, in the last nine or ten years, but it's exciting to see the impact um, you know, especially when you go to a country you've never been to before and you see people using Facebook as a part of their daily life. 
that's a that's a real thing for us to improve. You guys, there's there's actual studies that show that you lifted voter registration in the U.S. a couple yeah, years sure. ago. Yeah. There's a voter registration campaign happening now in Britain. Are you going to do that again in the U.S.? Um, we'll. Pro- I mean, in some way or another, we try and help people share either like share their election um, decisions or their voting. You know, in India, it was a huge part of Modi's. Um, campaign in Indonesia. There's a massive amount of people sharing their activity. It's cool. I mean, it's it's an important part of the the process of voting to be able to talk about the decision. And it's something you actively want to foster. Totally. So it's a, it's something where again you want to sort of not turning a dial, maybe maybe putting your thumb on a on a scale and saying we want more of this. I mean, we definitely want people to be able to share that stuff and talk about it. Yeah. Um, and one last question, then we'll we'll go to the audience. Um, how do you feel about Facebook's responsibility as a platform when it comes to things like free speech? Um, you, you can kind of publish whatever you want. Yeah. There's a few limits on Facebook, yeah. which is a really powerful tool. Yeah. Um, it also lets lots of people who might not have seen what you saw look at that, and that might not be positive. Yeah. Um, we've, we've seen reactions to speech now in Paris totally. and Copenhagen. Yep. How do you guys think about sort of what you can do to protect your users or help them or provide some sort of yeah. apparatus for them. Yeah, so the, I mean, the core you know, the, like ethos of Facebook is about free expression. If you just look at what the tool is, it's a box. You can put whatever you want in it and you can send it out. The flip side of that is it needs to be safe. So hate speech, bullying, terrorism, threats of violence, um, gore, Things that are violent or threatening in any way, we take down. Um, and then that is like this other side of the coin is it has to be a safe place. That and security is another team. We have a huge safety team and a huge security team that are just trying to make sure people don't have bad negative experiences, experiences that threaten their life, that they're not impersonated. That's a huge deal. Um, but there's so, it's not cut and dry, though, right? There's things that some people are going to say, this is me expressing speech, and someone else is going to say, that's hate speech, right? We, we saw yes. a big debate about this just this year in, totally. in Bloodshed. Um, how do you think about approaching that debate? We get world experts in those topics to make sure that we're, we have the best people working on it and we're communicating what we're doing. I mean, none of these issues are easy. You can hire you know, the best professor of ethics on earth and there's not a very clean answer to, like, where do you draw the line? But we're trying to draw the line. You do, again, it's a line you want to draw. You don't want to just leave it up to the users. No, to I mean, for, well, for safety, the primary way stuff gets reported is the users report it. So they're like, this is gore, this is hate speech, this is bullying. So the users are involved. And they have a tool to say, this, is, this content is threatening me. All that stuff gets prioritized and sent to people whose job is to understand the sensitivities of those issues, to speak the right languages to understand where that kind of activity is happening and then to deal with it right away. And we but I could see all the, all, everyone who wanted to publish the, the, the characters in the French newspaper uh, this year, I was able to see those on Facebook. You guys determined that was okay for me to say. Yeah. There's a lot of people who said, no, that's blasphemous. It's hurtful to me. It wasn't, threatening, it wasn't threatening violence. Fair enough. Um, I bet you guys have a lot of questions for Chris, so we're going to open up the lights. You can stand and yell. There's some microphones back there as well. Peter, you asked me to ask a Stuart, you want to? Yeah, we'll start with you. <clears throat> so, Chris, uh, Peter's been trying to trip you up here and get you to say something that would be reported widely. But um, I'm, just a, I'm just an old user of Facebook, and I am relatively old compared to your average. Um, I don't know if you call them members or active users or whatever, but 
Um, I got in the habit of publishing albums and photos. Not, you know, it's not video and it's not like instant messaging and it's certainly not 3D, but um, now I find that it's almost impossible to share with my friends photographs that I've taken, uh, you know, as a collection. Because they don't all be, see them. Well, it's just become an area of Facebook that seems to have become less interesting. And you're the chief product officer, and I'm just I'm kind of wondering... Where do photographs fit in and sharing yeah. photographs? Not as a, you know, like a uh, Instagram kind of experience because you kind of already have that as a different thing. But on Facebook, sharing photographs, what's what's that mean in terms of the way that you're describing, you know, this news feed for your users? I mean, it's photo, photo albums are from the very beginning one of the core things we need to nail and give you a good experience on. Uh, photo albums are a huge part of what people share on Facebook. They're unique, they're cool, they tell a story. Um, we see a lot of people sharing travel, we see a lot of people sharing um, like a longer social moment, like a wedding or stuff like that. So, you know, getting it right on a smartphone is harder because people are used to uploading albums on their PC and we're spending a lot of time on creative tools so that we can give you a better experience for uploading albums. Got a long way to go in that regard then. I'd have to, have to share with you. It's very difficult to manage albums. We're working on it. Put that in your to-do box. Owen. Chris, a, a few years ago, your advice to app developers was build stuff that automatically pumps stuff into the news feed, like what, what I'm doing right now, yeah. uh, listening to an album, going for a run, what have you. Yeah. Um, you pretty much pulled a 180. In fact, I remember looking at the exact language um, in your advice to developers on what apps they should be building, and it, it basically said, don't do that. Stop building automatic tools. Ask for permission every time yeah. before you post something to, news, to the news feed. Yeah. Why did your thinking evolve so sharply on that? What happened there? And where, what's the future of the platform in the news feed? Well, most of the passive sharing did not create a good experience. But you thought it would. So that's why you told people to start that way, right? Yeah. I mean, there were a bunch of, um, there were a bunch of cool things that we could have built around like when you listen to a bunch of stuff to surface like a, some aggregate activity that would show you what's trending or stuff like that. So that was the idea, but it ended up just not being a good experience for most people. So we're focusing on a much more simple, straightforward, active model. And again, are you aware of sort of like the, the whiplash or the, the scurrying that you cause when you say, do this, no, do that instead? Yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to be very careful in, in the way we're moving forward. And I think that's why at least active sharing, it's the kind of thing where people are not going to be surprised, um, and the model is a lot cleaner. And, and so that's the, that is the go-forward model yeah. for platform totally. developers. Totally. Okay, thank you. Steve. Hey, Chris. Steve Ellison, the CEO at Husay. Uh, we and our celebrity clients, great partners of Facebook. Um, we've seen YouTube over the last four years successfully become a partner with their power users. Yeah share opportunity and revenue. Yeah. Just this week we saw Twitter purchase niche, a signal at least that they value their power users. Peter alluded to it. Can you imagine a world where you share some of the opportunity and the value content power users create on Facebook in any method, any way? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we want to try and make the business work for everybody who's using the platform. You know, the thing that's working right now is awareness. Um, whether it's an artist, whether it's a celebrity, whether it's a YouTube publisher, just like having short moments on Facebook that correspond to wherever it is that they're running their business from a monetary perspective, that works. 
That's only beginning, so we want to build that opportunity out a lot more um, and then see where it goes from there. There are people who are now literally making millions of dollars on, on YouTube publishing there, and they're not just building awareness, they're making real money. Can you see that happening on Facebook? See what? People making millions of dollars by distributing their stuff on Facebook in partnership with you. I, you know, I don't want to say directly how don't things tell, are going to Don't work. tell everyone. Let me know first. Just yeah. I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like yet. Ryan. Thank you. So there's a, there's a cynical argument to be made that Facebook has reached this inflection point where it's no longer about connecting users with other users, but connecting users with brands and advertisers. Um, and I feel like we've seen this sort of cycle happen with other brands like Yahoo or, you know, with AOL, for instance, where you build a community, you build a utility, and then you basically become an ad platform. Um, and then eventually, like five years later, people go somewhere else. So what's the reason that you think users are going to stick with Facebook where they haven't stuck with any of these other platforms before? I think the key thing of Facebook is connecting with friends and family. And if you look at the vast majority of what people are seeing, the vast majority of what people are doing, that's the core of it. And we spend a lot of time making sure that that's not being traded off in what people see and what they're able to do. I think if we lose that, it's bad. And I think it means investing in really good tools for doing that. And that's what we prioritize. Question over here. Can you tell us a little bit about how Facebook is measuring the sentiment and context of user communications? And the example I present is, um, although I live here in Southern California, yeah. growing up in Seattle, yeah. season ticket holder to Seattle Seahawks, yeah. I may mention the San Francisco 49ers a lot. It's usually in a derogatory tone, but I still got a lot of ads for San Francisco 49ers merchandise. <laughs> Not exactly a target market. Yeah, so maybe, totally. How do you look into video posts and others to understand when people talk about a subject, the sentiment of their... Yeah, that's not very sophisticated yet, as you are experiencing. Um, a lot of what we look at is what people hide. Um, so if you're getting an ad and you hide it, it you'll stop seeing ads like that uh, over the longer term. So we're just looking at the little signals of what people do to try and understand where we're doing a bad job. And, and what do you guys think? I mean, someone posts a picture of, of their mother who died or they're in the hospital. Yeah. Like, it feels weird to give them a thumbs up. Totally. Um, um, what are you guys thinking about? Are you thinking about alternate tools for that? No. I mean, you know, one of the things we learn, for example, in these Knoxville tests is areas where the content's really important to people, but they're not going to like it. We need to make sure that that stuff doesn't get weeded out. So we're doing a lot on um, better controls so people can make sure they don't miss stuff and on ranking that isn't just about what gets liked. So is there some way that, that an important post that I'm not going to like, but I want that should be shared, that there'll be that you'll be able to pick up on that signal somehow? I mean, how can you figure out that I really care about the fact that my friend's in the hospital, but I'm not going to like it? I mean, usually that, that post, we're going to learn over time that that's something that's not liked, but that's, that's important to you. The other thing is that people are going to comment on that. So that's and the other thing is people are going to click on it. I mean, a lot of stuff is going to happen on that that isn't a like. We have a lot of signals for that. And you don't tend to miss those. Uh, hey, Chris. Uh, hey. Rich from Zephyr. Um, talking a little bit about video, you've talked about some of the tools for publishers, but yeah. I'm curious about, uh, we all know that video is inherently social, and you guys have seen some tremendous success in the early days. Yeah. With 300 hours being uploaded to YouTube every 60 seconds, how are you guys preparing for, just in terms of the architecture, hosting larger and larger amounts of 
quantity of video in terms of as the platform sort of takes off in this realm? Yeah. We're just focused on really good infrastructure, really good encoding, really good streaming, um, really good client software to make sure that the video ends up playing well. I mean, have you guys seen any difference? Have you seen any lack of speed or any buffering issues as you guys have scaled in terms of the, the amount of video you guys are hosting? Uh, we're measuring reliability. We're measuring, you know, making sure we don't drop frames, measuring making sure when you scroll the screen it doesn't get sticky and weird. All that stuff's improving. I mean, we're trying, I mean, if you think about a lot of the videos getting consumed on like a Moto E. Or like, yeah. you know, some Android device you haven't seen in three or four years. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the work we do is building good tools for measuring that stuff and then making sure we're improving all of the little details of how the video gets served and then also how the video gets rendered. And would you, just one more comment, because yeah. obviously we're really interested in not only legitimate publishers, but also the general public that's just uploading video in mass quantities totally. online. Yeah. How do you guys, do you rank people in terms of importance? Do you put like sort of I'm going to select, you know, publishers and put them in this group and maybe my super influencers from YouTube in this group and sort of the general public in this other group. Do you do that kind of segregation of content uploading and publishing? Not, not really. I mean, the, the thing we do try and do is for each person, make sure that they're seeing recommended to them the sources that they're most likely to be engaged with. Got it. So that's friends, it's family, it's sources, it's like any kind of artist or, you know, journalist or But there's whatever. no fast lane. There's not a fast lane, no. So that could tilt. That might tilt more just towards your your immediate social circle, then, from what you're saying. Yeah, it, it all depends who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. Question. Hey guys, I'm Rodney Jerkins. Um, quick question. So, the 13 year old is allowed to sign up to Facebook. Is there any plans for to target the 13 and under, the Generation Z kids? We are not planning on that right now. It's the, it's the kind of thing where the service we're building right now, we're still trying to adjust. Like, the barriers we're breaking down right now are barriers for people who are getting phones for the first time, who are coming onto the internet for the first time, who are using it on an experience that, um, where data, uh, data use is a big issue, where affordability of data is a big issue, where performance and memory are really big issues, and that's where our sites are set right now. There's a lot of mad 10-year-olds out there that want to be on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a sensitive one. Yeah, thanks. Do you think, by the way, about sort of, you've got users who are Facebook users, but they're they're really Instagram users. They're 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 in the Facebook universe, but they're on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, versus a WhatsApp user, do you sort of think about sort of different people want to use different tools for different things, or do you think they're all Facebook users? They just don't know it yet. No, I mean, what we see is most, you know, a lot of people use Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp, and they just use them for different groups of people or for different use cases. They're not discrete groups, you don't think? There are some people who only use one or the yeah. other, but the most of what we see is people are using both for different things. Question here. Um, what are you doing on the product and operations side to solve the problem of freebooting? So there's a lot of people uploading content that doesn't belong to them on yeah. Facebook? So we're building out better systems for when people report content that belongs to them, getting it down quickly. That's something we have teams on. That's something we have um, product support around, but we're trying to make it better. Do you think the problem is big or small or just feels big because the people who are the victim of it are noisy? I think it's getting bigger now that video is blowing up. So it wasn't something we, see, we had a really big issue with until video started getting really big, and now we're kind of trying to staff up to do a better job on it. I see a lot of video in my feed from like a radio station in Australia. 
Okay. It's not their video. Okay. Right? They found it's a Westminster dog thing. Yeah. And it seems to me they figured out very early on uh, we, somehow some benefit to us to figure out go find a viral video posted on our own somehow it's to their benefit. Does yeah. that concern you? Well, I'm not familiar with the radio station. I'll find. I'll, uh, I'll but the behavior is something that's bad because people are frustrated and they have bad experiences, and we just need to fix it. Last question here. So Google has the "Don't be evil." as a part of their motto, and I see a lot of posts from Mark Zuckerberg personally about all the positive things that he does. You talk a lot about importance of connecting people with the content they want to see. Yeah. How important is it for Facebook to make the world a better place? Because the problem is that when people are biased and when they're sort of Fox Newsified, they tend to want to read the kind of stuff that, it, that applies to them. Yeah. So, so how, do you, how do you balance that? I mean, it's essential. I mean, the... the the ethos of Facebook is that giving people free tools to connect with each other and to share and express with each other what they want and to see and connect with the sources that they want is a good thing. We all believe that. Um, when it comes to filter bubbles, I mean, we've done some research on this, and the data is pretty surprising, where it's surprising to people that think Internet's bad because it creates filter bubbles, because it says that most of the content you see on Facebook is from weak ties who are people that you wouldn't normally be interacting with and sharing with, and who are people that don't resemble you as much as your close ties. So you're more likely to find content that you wouldn't otherwise have looked at. And you can verify this by looking at your own Facebook behavior. It's certainly true for me. You're saying that Facebook, social media, and then Facebook specifically, gives you a much broader view of the world than people think. Because everyone sort of thinks you're seeing it. There's not evidence that Facebook creates filter bubbles. And there is evidence to the contrary. Didn't know, did you? Well, it's, it's interesting because it's surprising. I, I see a lot of debates, especially when Ferguson was happening, when, yeah. when the various you know, events were happening. I see a lot of debates on my Facebook feed, and I guess maybe I, I, consider, myself, I consider myself sort of more diverse than most, and, and so I was kind of attributing it to that. But, but I'm curious, where does that come from? I mean, most people tend to want to hear from like-minded individuals. That's why Fox News is so successful. You know, Chris Rock was, was commenting... Fox News fan. Well, Chris, Chris Rock was commenting on how, on how sort of the, the reason for Obama's failure is that he's not a Fox News president, that he's yeah. trying to create consensus, whereas his predecessor is in a different situation. And, and I, I guess I'm, I'm a little surprised that Facebook has not found that it's creating these filters. Well, so on Facebook, I, I don't think you go to Facebook to hear what you believe already. You go to see what's up with your friends. And that oftentimes is not what you believe already, and it's interesting, which is why you go. So and you're I saying most people have interesting friends. Most people have a diverse no. friends group. I'm saying... You're that, not the only person with interesting friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it appears. I think... So your close friends, Facebook is not massively changing your relationship with them because you, you interact with them in other media. You call them, you have lunch with them, they're your close friends. Right. The thing that Facebook changed, I think, pretty dramatically is your relationship with your weak ties. So people that, like... You don't really go out to drinks with or have dinner with, but you find out what they're up to on Facebook. They post an article. They post a photo album, hopefully easily on their phone. And you see that, and you see them in a new way. And I think if you just look at most of what you're doing on Facebook, that's a lot of it. I think that's a really cool behavior. I think it supplements the, the close interactions with your close friends and then the interactions with media that you still have. It's not like those went away. And somewhere in between Fox News and, like, you know, your dinner with your family is this new, you know, zone of content. Okay. We're going to let it go there. Chris yeah. is going to watch Fox News backstage. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be around later, so you can talk cool. to him. Thanks, guys. Chris, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.